because a lot of times an athlete, we um, get caught up in the approval of other people so much that we forget to actually honor who we are, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and be in that place. And because sometimes if I have a big goal, somebody else might have a lot of judgment around me having that goal because they're afraid of going after their own goals. And so it's easy to get caught up in the approval of other people versus staying present. Mm -hmm. And so it was a big eye-opener for me is really learning to just love who I am, accept where I'm at, and be okay with it all. Welcome to the Positive Coaching Alliance My Sports Life Podcast. This is a podcast for people who want to know how others find success. And PCA is a nonprofit that provides coaches training for youth leagues, training that provides an ethical standard, leadership, and motivational skills. Today's guest is Katrina Radke, former U.S. Olympic swimmer. Her story is pretty unique. In 1988, at the age of 17, she was on the U.S. Olympic swim team headed to Seoul, Korea, where she finished fifth in the 200-meter butterfly. Soon after, though, a bout of mono followed by a chronic fatigue disorder left her barely able to get around, and she retired in 1993. But Katrina is an overcomer. And in 2004, she was able to battle back and make the Olympic trials. Today, she's a marriage and family therapist, professor, and motivational coach. And by her side is her husband, a former Stanford and Olympic coach, and their two young children in Excelsior, Minnesota. We have three big areas that we want to touch on today. We'll ask her, after retiring, how did she battle back and get healthy again? Also, how has her coaching style changed and been influenced by the coaching style of the 80s? And then also her philosophy on being an overcomer. And our bonus question, just so happens she was on the show Survivor at one point, so we want to ask her what that experience was like as well. Yeah. All right. So, Katrina, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. All right. So let's just jump right into this. You retired in 1993. So I am just so curious as to how you battled back, got healthy, and then in your 30s managed to swim in the Olympic trials again. <laughs> well, it's a very interesting thing. You know, I think as a young child, I had a big dream. When I, was, I remember in third grade, I wrote this assignment in school where I said, when I'm 25, I will have gone to the Olympics won many medals in swimming, get a boyfriend, coach for a couple of years, and then get married. And it's kind of interesting because I swam for the United States from age 14 to 21 and ended up with mono when I was 17. So I was actually already at the Olympics and all of that kind of stuff. But I justified that I was fine by the fact that I was swimming internationally still doing well, and um, but my body was telling me otherwise. And so by the time 1990 came around, we were at World Championship, heading to Perth, Australia, and I was in a place that I knew I wasn't quite well, but I also was trying to, like, will my way through it. And um, interestingly, as time went on, I really realized the fact that I needed to surrender into the fact that my body's telling me something different and listen to it and stop swimming. And it was a really, really hard thing because my, I loved what I was doing. I loved being in the water. It was like my second home. And so I had a doctor at Berkeley who was also an MD, but he's also an acupuncturist who really woke me up to the fact of, Trina, what are you going to do with yourself now that you're not, you're not going to be able to be physically active? And I was like, what? That'll never happen to me. And the next thing I know, I'm just bawling crying, which I, at that time I hated crying. I always wanted to be just, you know, see if I could overcome anything. And so it was a really big eye-opener because I really needed to let go and see that it's okay to be completely human. And yes, it's great to test my limits and see how far I can push. I was a master of that. Um, and at the same time, I got to see it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to have bad days. And so I really went through a huge spiritual journey in many ways in the early 90s. 
And I was at Berkeley for school, so obviously that's a mecca for that world. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have to remember 30 years ago, um, meditation and yoga and acupuncture was not talked about like it is nowadays in the mainstream. And so I had a teacher at Berkeley. I was taking a really famous class at Berkeley called Nonviolence uh, Studying Gandhi and a lot of nonviolent movements that happened throughout the world. And um, he also was a meditation teacher. And so I got into meditation every morning, doing meditation with his group. And really finding another whole level of peace and balance and rest. Um, I was always really good about, you know, peak performance and eating well and being mindful of what's possible with the body. Um, but I didn't realize the depths that I could go. And so it was a really good journey, really, having to go through what I did go through. It wasn't always pleasant. I mean, there was days where physically um, I literally couldn't get out of bed. I mean, there was, and physically my body was in so much pain. Um, and it's like having a flu times 10 because your body is like aching and you have a fever and the the mind's not working the same and the organs aren't working the same. So everything's inflamed. And so it's a, it's a you know, chronic fatigue syndrome is kind of a known, um, chronic disorder that a lot of people do get an autoimmune, they think too, as well. So it's an interesting thing that I went through because I ended up getting disabled parking. My, my uh, doctor convinced me to get disabled parking so I could park right next to my classes. And of course, my ego at the time was like, are you kidding me? Mm. <laughs> you know, I was a world-class athlete for seven years. Um, it's uh, pretty, and I still look like a really strong athlete. And so it was, I remember one time a street person in Berkeley pulling me over and just saying, Trina, or he didn't say my name. He just said, you know, do you know you're parking in a disabled parking spot? As I was getting out of the car and I just wanted to be able to say, you know, I wish I had something serious that I could say. I got a broken leg or, you know, cancer, severe cancer, but I looked like a still pretty decently healthy person. And I remember going through this process of like having to trust that I needed to honor what was going on for me, even if other people didn't see it. And I say that because a lot of times an athlete, we um, get caught up in the approval of other people so much that we forget to actually honor who we are, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and be in that place. And because sometimes if I have a big goal, somebody else might have a lot of judgment around me having that goal because they're afraid of going after their own goals. And so it's easy to get caught up in the approval of other people versus staying present. Mm -hmm. And so it was a big eye-opener for me is really learning to just love who I am, accept where I'm at, and be okay with it all. Um, and also be okay with the fact that I needed to stop swimming. I had no choice. Did you have, in 1993, when you stepped away from swimming, did you have to basically mm-hmm. step away from physical activity altogether for several years? How long did that go on? And at what yes. point did you feel like you had that moment where you thought, I think I'm healthy again and actually can get back into the pool? Yes. Yeah, so here's an interesting thing. So I um, finished college at Berkeley in 1995. And um, at my last year and a half there, I was basically bedridden. I was barely just surviving getting to class and back. And I was done swimming. And um, then I went to grad school. I was kind of, I really, my goal um, going into college was I, I love international business. I actually did business world for a long time. And um, my plan was to do international business. And I was so sick. I remember going for a couple of interviews and getting the job. And they were so excited for me to come work with them. And I knew I couldn't take the job. And, and so it was a very interesting, you know, quandary in my own head because I knew as much as that's what I wanted on one level, I knew physically there was no way I could handle that level of, you know, travel and being tired and everything. And so I ended up going to graduate school for marriage and family therapy and gestalt therapy in Connecticut and being able to really sleep and then study and go to class. 
for that kind of thing. And so I was still not well during that time, but I was getting acupuncture done at Berkeley my last year, three times a week, meditating every day. I had gone to a um, person who had studied you know, a lot of illnesses and you know, there's a lot of alternative stuff that was back then that's becoming mainstream now. And so I had cut out all sugar, all dairy, caffeine, alcohol. I mean, I didn't do caffeine and never have, you don't want, you don't want me on caffeine <laughs> and uh, alcohol. So I was at a place where I was eating really, really healthy. I was doing a macrobiotic diet a lot, and I was really balancing my energy, and I was getting acupuncture regularly. And so I really believe that all of that really healed me a lot. Mm -hmm. But even to say that, when I went to graduate school, I was like a normal lazy person, if you will. And then I remember 1996, Olympics in Atlanta, and they asked me to carry the torch in New Haven, Connecticut. Oh. It gave me the place where I was running. It was all uphill for a mile. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think I can do this. I called them up. And so long story short, I ended up doing it, but I was a purely adrenaline. I was not in shape for it or really I knew it was going to knock me out for a couple of days. So it's a weird thing with chronic fatigue syndrome because you think you're normal for a few moments or hours. And then all of a sudden, you're literally knocked out, and it could be a day or two before you really can even function again. Wow. And so it's a really, it's a weird, it's like you don't know what's going to happen. It's not like A plus B equals C. You might have A again and be a completely different result than last time. And so that was the weirdest thing about it was having to just completely let go and be out of control of whatever might show up for me and be open to what might show up too. And so during that process, it led to me through the 90s, um, to answer your question, um, the... I didn't really get back into swimming until 1999, 2000, around that time. And when I say swimming, I was doing like three, four, 500 yards, which is like maybe takes, you know, six to 10 minutes, very yeah. little. And I was doing that like three days a week just to see if I could and how I handled it. Because one thing that happened with the chronic fatigue syndrome is that I got really dizzy a lot. My So they have done a lot of studies on this where the blood pressure will all of a sudden just drop in the body. And so you could pass out by standing up. And so there's a lot of weird things that happened. So I didn't notice even doing flip turns were weird on the um, vestibular system. And so I was just very cautious getting back. And the other day that I just wanted to be in denial and see if I could train again. And so I would do that and then set, get set back a few days again. So the weird, like it was like this little game within myself, if you will, of having to honor the fact that there's something bigger than myself in charge here and I need to let surrender to that. Wow. It's remarkable that you were able to get to the point of going to the trials, though, in 2004. So you kind of touched on this, the whole training style of the 80s and competing against the East Germans. And so how has the coaching style of the 80s influenced how you counsel and coach people now? Yes. So back in the 80s, there's a lot of people who I, I saw a lot of people go through um, eating disorders. I saw a lot of people quit because they were burnt out. Because, you know, the training we did back then was such an extreme of what people do now, thank goodness, um, that I just see when somebody thinks they need to work harder and, you know, beat themselves up completely to be able to feel like they're getting better, uh, like no pain, no gain idea. Mm -hmm. um, I remind them that they have to listen to their body. I mean, that's number one. And I don't know, you know, applied kinesiology and muscle testing shows that a lot of times our deeper, higher wisdom has answers for us that show up in our bodies when we actually pay attention. And it's really, really crucial to listen to that. So like it could be like listening and having a conversation with somebody and they're being really gossipy and we don't like listening to all that gossip. We may feel tension in our body because we do, our energy goes down having to listen to that. Whereas if you are around somebody who's really empowering and inspiring, we go, wow, I love their energy. I love what they're doing in their life. I love how they're going for it. We also feel energy coming through us because of it. And so it's really becoming aware of what that is for us. Noticing the difference of, oh, I'm being lazy today. I really don't want to go work out because of X, Y, and Z versus like I've actually trained too much and I need to take a break. Yeah. And I think that's a big piece that a lot of us, especially in America, sometimes forget to listen to. So 
in terms of coaching, I I really believe in having to develop the will and discipline amongst people because a lot of times people are they get, let their fears get in the way of what is possible. But then once they actually get through that and stay disciplined, they get to honor where how far do I push versus when is it smart to rest. So I think that's the biggest piece is learning to have some balance. And how does that translate beyond sports, but into like the workplace and into your personal life? Oh gosh, that's a that's great for all of us, right? <laughs> So I know you're a mom. I'm a mom. We're, we're wise. Um, we have businesses. It's a very interesting thing because I'm a firm believer. Like my firm belief in life is that I, I want to be true who I am and help other people be true who they are. Take your armor off. Be willing to shine your light. Be who you're meant to be. And so for me, I love, you know, the, my husband and I have a business called We Coach For You. We work with athletes all over the place throughout the country. I work with college kids doing Skype calls, um, doing, you know, sports like. And we love working with you know, I, I especially love the ages of like 15 to 25 years old. It's a, a special time where people are going through so many transitions and it's really important to stay true to who they are. And it's difficult with all the peer pressure that goes on, especially nowadays with the social media. And so we talk about that too as uh, people we work with, the importance of figuring out who they are first and wondering what that's like and, and honoring it, even if it makes, you know, if we have a pimple on our face, it's okay. <laughs> you know, we all are, none of us are perfect and it's okay to be not perfect. So um, what is your philosophy on overcoming, whether it be an injury, like if you're, if you're an athlete, um, yeah. losing your job, something, uh, you know, devastating like that, or yep. um, being an NFL kicker, missing that field goal, <laughs> costing the team oh, the game. You know, know all of those things. Um, there's, great. Great. there's a lot of psychology in that. Yes. Well, and they're all so similar, aren't they? I think the biggest thing it comes down to is being aware of what we get attached to and what we get averse to. So it's very easy. Like if I'm, if I'm, I had a girl one time say to me, I don't want to win because I don't want to be on the top of the podium. Everybody's staring at me. Like she had like everybody, all the attention on her. Yeah. And there's somebody else who might be so deathly afraid of failure. They might be driven to succeed. And so in, in like the guy who's the kicker and he misses the time. Well, you know, hopefully he does it in a game that doesn't matter so much to him because I know I have friends of mine who sometimes they live with that idea and that, that image for years and having to honor that we all we're doing is trying to maximize our mind and body in those moments to see what's possible. And hopefully it all comes together in the right moment to have these amazing experiences of a flow and zone and however you want to call it, where our mind is completely still. And it's almost as if something is being done to us. And the same thing in the work world, right? When people retire, one thing I, I was fortunate enough to experience was I reached the, you know, the top of the sport at a very young age. And I have a whole life ahead of me to do other stuff, which I've been doing a lot of different things. Whereas some people spend their whole life working in a job to get a certain title and then they get there and they realize is this all there is. And so I think it's very important to really, really, really smell the rose along the way. And I know it's so cliche to say that, but to also see that, wow, you know, there's so many wonderful gifts that go on during the process when we are trying to climb the mountain. And I know I was talking to a client yesterday about this who was just beating themselves up around the fact that they wanted to be better at this point. And so I really had to get them back into being appreciative and have gratitude around what are they able to do right now that in 20 years they may not be spending as much time doing, right? They're getting in the pool, they're swimming, they're being able to enjoy what they love to do. And even if their time's not exactly where they are, I can guarantee 20 years later, they're not going to remember all their time. And so overcoming these different these difficulties that do show up, all of us have them, all of us. The key is, can we take this one moment of learning from it and then maximize it for the next time and then see, oh, I did it, I did it, I got better, or I did it differently, or I changed my habits so that I could actually have a different result. 
And those are the moments that are much more important than just one event in time, in my view. Do you have any tips for those initial moments when you get bad news, whether you're an athlete and you've been told this injury, this injury is so devastating that your career is over, or yep. let's say you've lost your job or you've cost your team the game. And those, those initial moments of just panic, disappointment, fear, how do you start to overcome well, I, I think a big part of it is actually acknowledging the feelings that are coming up for you, because if you don't, they're going to fester. And I think the biggest mistake a lot of us can make is sometimes pretending we're fine when we're not. And the reality is those, those feelings and whatever's coming up for us will only yell at us louder or manifest in things we do outside of ourselves. And then we have consequences from those actions. And so um, I think it's really important to go, gosh, you know what? I am feeling really horrible about this. I feel sad about it, whatever it might be. And I know some people don't want to go into their feelings, but the more we can honor that first, then we can actually be aware of, okay, here's the situation. What, do I gonna, what am I going to do? What am I going to do moving forward? It's hard, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, some people say it's their identity. And I think that's the hardest part is if your identity is completely wrapped up in that, I kind of, I joke about this now, but it's like, okay, maybe life is just throwing you this on purpose to make you see that you're much bigger than that role. Yeah. So a lot of us in society get so caught up in, I am only this title or this role, and I'm so special because of that, or I'm not, or whatever. And then we get stuck in that belief system. So I'm a firm believer that we can change our beliefs. I mean, there's been studies now that show that we can change our DNA by just changing our habits and allowing ourselves to change how we do go about our lives and how we think about the world. And by doing that, it literally can change our physical bodies. Yeah. And that is so cool to me because we don't have to be limited. We can be in a place where we allow ourselves just to have other things keep showing up for us. Yeah. So all of a sudden, if it means you can't be a gymnast anymore because you got a serious injury, well, maybe there's other things for you that you have here to do in this lifetime. I remember it was funny. I remember um, this person from Chicken Soup for the Soul had called me to do a story on what it was like not to meddle. <laughs> and at the time, I was pretty young. I was like 20. I don't remember. I was, you know, in my 20s. And I was still like, I had wanted, of course, to get a medal. And the joke of the matter is the legal system of the IOC is actually from 1976 to 88 going to go back and probably give medals to people who, they won't take away medals from people on steroids, but they're actually probably going to give medals to the people who would have gotten a medal based on what happened. Oh, so yeah. in my event, I'd, I'd be getting a bronze. And wow. so I joke that I'm like, I'm going to be a grandma at 90 years old with a medal, you know, <laughs> which at this point doesn't really mean much. I mean, I've written a book called Be Your Best Without the Stress, and the subtitle is It's Not About the Medal, because that's really what I'm getting at is that the process in the end, and it sounds so cliche to say this, but that's really where the joy is. And the outcomes of winning are awesome. Yes, they're fun, but it's really in the process of the day-to-day stuff where we really get to feel, experience that joy, that flow, that zone, and we get to see how often we can have that. And to me, that's the biggest For me, that's when I feel most fulfilled. Yeah, so true. Okay, so our bonus question. Ding, ding, ding. You were on Survivor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like this reality, faux reality, interesting situation. You're away from your family, of course, and um, with all of these other people, these strangers competing for a million dollars. So what were the pros of that experience? What was the unexpected? And what were some of the cons? So just tell us what that was like. Okay. Well, I love, I mean, I love the show in a sense. It's a very interesting study of human behavior Yeah. and I love the games. I love the challenges. And so for me, the, the pro, I loved being on the island. I loved it. It's just being in nature like that. And that there's so much energy that comes off, you know, the magnetic field of the earth. I mean, it's just powerful. And being out surrounded by ocean, I'd wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and I'd go do Qigong and meditation um, when the sun rose. 
And we were on this point. Um, I was on the Heroes Tribe for the here. We had, you know, it was a, a year and a half ago. And um, we had an island where there was water. Um, it was kind of a, a peninsula point, kind of. And so we had one side where the sun rose and another side where the sun set. And so it was just beautiful to wake up to that every morning and then see it fall and just being around the ocean, hearing the waves. I mean, I love that. I just love it. And um, I think that the con would be that um, the hardest thing for me was being away from my family. And it doesn't seem like it would be that hard. I mean, you get so engaged in what you're doing. But there's a part of me that felt like, I mean, I was gone for 45 days. The show was 39 days. I was the first one out. So that's another whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after you're out, you stay and like, people keep coming off the show. And then what happens is um, we, we stay at Ponderosa, which is a so-called survivor island that we were. And then the last two weeks, we were actually in Australia. And, um, you know, they keep us busy and active doing different things. We did a lot of fun things. Um, my husband thinks I had the best deal of it all because I got to do the <laughs> yeah. show. We got to do some test challenges afterwards. But then we were surfing and kayaking and did a lot of other stuff, That's too. Funny. Like So, um, anyhow, it's uh, one of my favorite memories, actually, in Fiji was I, our security guard who was on our island um, for Once You're Voted Off. He took us on Easter Sunday to his tribe, and I got to spend Easter with all of these families and beautiful ceremonies and one of my favorite things i really really wanted to experience on survivor which they didn't do that year was a reward challenge where you actually get to meet all the natives and the kids Mm -hmm. and so i have a picture of me like with i don't know 30 kids surrounding me at this event and it was just like the most wonderful day there's all this love and joy and they have really such simple belongings they don't have much and um and yet they're just really joyous wonderful people and so that was probably one of my most heartwarming experiences of the whole trip. Oh, well, you get to just appreciate everything that's around you, you know, when you don't oh, have yeah. a schedule too, like that, you know, you were uh, away from work in a sense, but you appreciate yes. every day anyway. I can tell that that's just your attitude. You know, you, you find those little <laughs> things. You don't just walk by something without noticing it. Now, did you find the whole... Uh, reality show part a little bit strange being on the other side. You weren't watching it on TV. You were, you were living it with the producers and the cameras. Yes. Was that strange or did it, it sort you know of disappear? funny? The first day, I, I, the cameras are constantly on you. There must be, I don't know, 20 cameramen on the, on the So basically the three tribes are on different islands. And we, once we're on our island, you know, even if you're going off a different path, they're following you or they're in front of your face. And so um, like I remember looking for the idol for a couple hours and they were with me the whole time you know, probably four or five people. And, it, and I remember every time you have a conversation or anything, you basically are. So I remember saying to the cameraman one of the first few hours, I'm like, I'll get used to you. I'll get used to you. you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's just so weird having a camera right in your face all the time. And, um, you know, I, done, I have done a lot of camera work and interviews and different things. And, but you're used to having it turned off, you know, yeah. after so much time. And so it was just an interesting thing that you get used to the point where it just becomes part of the scene uh, or part of the scenery, if you will. Um, but the people, one thing I, I do want to say is that I loved all the people on the show. I mean, they're, they're, they're wonderful human beings. I think it's unfortunate that TV has become so dramatic because there's so many empowering moments that you don't get to see. Oh. And so many things, they edit it to a certain way to feed the story so that people will like the people all the way through this, you know, to the end. And so a lot of stuff gets skewed compared to what really happened. Oh, it'd be better so if you could just watch it, the raw that footage. Part is, yeah, I would love to see them take the same show, same people, same material, and then edit it so that the, there's different material actually on the TV set. Because I think people would be more empowered hearing more stories that go on mm-hmm. uh, through the island versus actually what they see. They focus so much on drama. 
I know uh, Kelsey, oh. uh, her dream is to be on The Amazing Race. Uh, one <laughs> oh, day. Would, that would I, be awesome. Would you, well, you need to contact the needs, casting director. Yeah, but she needs a partner. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, I since, a partner. I yeah, you since you already it. have, because she won't do it with me. She said we'd be the first one off. No. Yeah, if I did it with her, but that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, yes, it is. You know, my husband and I have talked about it too because, um, and we're two. You know, we be we're great partners, but in terms of actually doing that show together, no, it wouldn't work. <laughs> right. Wouldn't I, work. I don't want. I don't want yeah. to have my level of intensity. Yeah. With my husband, you know where she would exhaust yeah. me. Right. He she would. would he me. would leave me in some foreign country. and yeah. Be like, I. I don't know who that woman is but i'm going back home <laughs> these, and <laughs> these 30 minutes we spend doing this well, Kelsey, podcast is exhausting. Similar. i think you and i could we would be fine we just we probably just go back and forth the thing with me is so interesting he's like i just say it like it is it is what it is you know sometimes you win one sometimes you literally take your job you know and just, then there's no hard feelings about yeah. stuff yeah but some people have a hard time with that yeah i enjoy the adrenaline rush of solving a problem Oh, I totally hear you Finding on that a one. solution. And just being able to travel like that, too, would be so cool. But so that I can kind of push through the, the physical fatigue in that way. You know, I guess being a reporter mm-hmm. for 23 years, you know, I was out on the street and you're always trying to solve a puzzle every day as a television yeah, reporter. Yeah, you must love that. And, you you know, active. and you have the deadline pressure and all of that. So I, I enjoy that. That is not fun. Like, I yes. consider that fun, but that is not fun for a lot of people. <laughs> that is just stress for a lot of people. So I get yeah. it. So that's why I always tell Dave, I'm like, I don't know. We should just, we could have different partners and do the Amazing Race together. And <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah, I nice might have to put in a phone call because I know somebody who might be able to help us out. You never nice, know. Nice, <laughs> Oh, um, well, thank you so much, Katrina, for talking with us. You have great insight, especially going through the different eras of um, st- the different eras and styles of coaching and also overcoming just, um, you know, a situation that left you maybe feeling like you'd never compete again. And then not only getting back just for exercise, but going to the Olympic trials. That's incredible. So you have a lot of good stuff yeah, to share. Fun. And people need to hear this, too, because when you're 15 or 16 or even in your 20s, you just don't have enough perspective to know how to get over those hurdles. And Yeah, so, so I think the biggest thing is to stay open to realizing that, wow, you know what? I'm really lucky I get to do this right now. Yeah. I may have not done my best time or gotten the, time, the place I wanted, but I'm able to partake. Yeah. You know, I think Jack Nicklaus said that about golf. You know, he basically said it's just a wonderful treat to be able to show up in golf and then he's com- in these competitions. Yeah. And that's huge, right? We have, yeah. to, we have to really appreciate yeah. those moments. Like yeah. you went out for a run for the marathon. Yeah. It's like those are gifts. Not everybody gets to do that. They are. And, you know, I've gotten to the point, too, where I've, I've done a ton of marathons and, and I do enjoy them. But I, the last one I did, I thought, you know what? I don't know that I need to do the race anymore. I just enjoy the training and the people that I spend time training with and the process to get there. And that's what's important to me. And that's peace, man. Yeah. That's a level of peace. It feels good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to get get you my book. I talk a lot about this kind of stuff in my book about just like having to, when you get yourself in that quiet place, how, you know, just surrendering deep within it pretty awesome yeah well thank you so much it was so great talking with you Yay. we we love your insight. you guys too have a great day and we love your energy i can't imagine you on <laughs> caffeine it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> to learn more about positive coaching alliance head to positivecoach.org get the latest episodes as they're released of the my sports life podcast by subscribing through itunes follow our journey as we introduce you to coaches athletes and leaders who are trying to make a positive impact on youth and high school sports. Better athletes, better people.
This is the My Sports Life Podcast.